broadcasting live from a devastating lack of Dexter Jetster, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. And I'm Garrett Strother. Hello there. Oh, there you go. Oh, I should have I should have gone Seamus Kenobi? That's not close enough. I'm out of here. It's pretty close. I, Seamus I'll Connolly. It to you. Thank you, thank you. It's 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 farther away from it than Ben Kenobi, but uh, we'll get more <laughs> into that in just a little bit. Uh, so, of course, we are talking about the Disney Plus series Obi-Wan Kenobi, which had its finale, what, like a week and a half ago now, as I, of recording? Yeah, some, some, like, something like that. But I think hopefully by now all of you have had the chance to catch up. We have had the chance to catch up, uh, finish up that maybe limited series, maybe season one. Oh, um, God, wait a minute. I, I guess we'll get into that. that. That might be a little more news to me. I, I thought yeah, this was, this was some, one and done. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy's floating. <laughs> oh, damn it. But before we get into that, why don't we jump into the news real quick? Please. First up, we have Zachary Levi and Gina Rodriguez starring in the Robert Rodriguez-helmed Spy Kids reboot. I am... I don't know what to say about this, man. Were you a spy kid? I was a spy kid, I think. I yeah. liked the Spy Kids movies. Yeah. They're not like They weren't something that I was obsessed with or anything, but they're something I liked a lot. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I I think I had I think I had the first two on VHS, maybe the first one on VHS. I I was a big well, fan of those back in the obviously day. Obviously, you had three in the little DVD case that came with the 3D <laughs> glasses, and one was Carmen and one was Junie. I I uh, think I, I absolutely did not have that, and I always <gasps> wanted it. Yeah, I think I saw that one in the theaters when it came out with the with the proper 3D, and it was it was I a mind blowing uh, experience. Oh, you fool! You absolute the, fool! The closest I ever got was the Game Boy Advance game <laughs> that was in 3D put on your 3D glasses. What is that? How does that even work? It's a Game it Boy. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Like many at-home 3D things, but I, I assume this is probably gonna be a Netflix because of the whole. That would make sense. Yeah, and I'm not sure. I didn't. I should read more about it and probably find that out. You know, <laughs> pop culture reference, but that would make sense to me. I think Zachary Levi and Gina Rodriguez are a little old to be spy kids. I won't lie. I didn't even imagine that they were going to be the kids in this spy kids. I thought they were going to be the parents. That was a joke, Seamus. It was oh. a joke I was making. I'm That went right over my head like, let's de-age Zachary <laughs> Levi 40 years <laughs> until he's Junie and we'll, we'll run with it. And I was like, you know what? Like, we, I guess we might as well. The special effects in those original ones are so amazingly goofy that I, I wouldn't even mind at that point. Who cares? Well, after the after We Could Be Heroes, I want to be excited <laughs> uh, about this, but I am very, very skeptical. Oh, that's the other question, though. Are they finally going to gonna stop dancing around it and they're going to pull the trigger on the shared universe with the whole president thing and, and all that? Are, are we going to finally go for it now that it's a reboot, or is it just going to be more standalone weirdness? I don't know. I wasn't... Spy Kids 4, basically a reboot. I didn't see that one. Oh, it was so bad, dude. It was really, really bad. I remember I watched it with my little brother, I think, years and years ago, and I don't remember anything about it except for maybe Junie is a bad guy. I, 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 No, not Junie. Oh, Junie, the biggest a-hole in all of the Spy Kids universe? (laughs) He's a child, and he's the worst. What about that kid with all the watches? He sucks. Oh, you mean, um... No, he only has one watch. The the guy who's, um, Emily Osmond's brother in that? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're pretty terrible. The the giggly laugh 
twins over there. Well, They're... Emily Osment, she redeems herself by three, right? She like. Yeah. Oh no, cool. I think she redeems herself in two. Doesn't she like push her brother into a like a pile of manure or something? I don't know. Like, I, Biff I, Tannen. Yeah, exa- It's almost exactly like that. He like spits out manure from his mouth after like falling into it. It's. It's great. I remember she's in the weird film noir opening of Spy Kids 3. Oh, God, yeah. Wait, no, is she? Because yeah, I was going to bring that up, that she weird She comes detective. into his lair with her weird ponytails that are helicopters. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, what a, what those a movies nightmare. Are insane. Those, those movies are wild. Maybe we should do a marathon, all four of them, before this new one comes I out. I would love that. That sounds great That would be bonkers, yeah. Just the, the Robert Rodriguez weird bad movie night top it off with a, a double feature of the shark boys and lava girls maybe we don't <laughs> maybe, on second thought uh, maybe not no. honestly those first three a triple feature of the actual originals i think would be lovely oh but, yeah i would i would adore that that would be fantastic all right let, let's actually think about doing that one and exclude all of the other garbagey ones until this one comes out completely agree we'll cover them for the show when this one comes out in two years or whatever although robert rodriguez works really fast so yeah, this true. might be on netflix in december <laughs> for all we know oh god keep an eye out but this is actually pretty much tied to our main segment our other piece of news this week is that prolific much celebrated much award-winning composer john williams is officially retiring from film composing after indiana jones 5 which seems like a nice way for him to go out. I kind of thought he was going to be done after Star Wars Episode Nine, personally. Yeah, I thought he already was retired. If I'm being honest, uh, I think we, I think maybe we covered him coming back out of retirement just for indie. But I, well, I did Kenobi, dude. That's right. You're, no, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm like, oh yeah, John Williams. He he he's been gone since like Rogue One when they when they got rid of him the first time. But I I'm I'm all scrambled. My my John Williams radar is off. He did Kenobi, he did, he does a lot of Star Wars stuff, weirdly, actually, because he also did the, he only did the theme for Kenobi, he also did the theme for Galaxy's Edge, so there's like a suite <laughs> oh, that plays right, Galaxy's yeah. Edge that he did, he was just at Star Wars Celebration for his 90th birthday, I think you and I talked about that uh, yes, off yes. mic, which sounds like it was a really nice send-off for him. I mean, from all accounts, a really, really nice guy, his work is, it can't be overstated how influential he is as a composer oh my god absolutely he is he is iconic for a reason every single every single thing he does is he's he's gets grows more famous and accomplished for there's there's like no misses in his in his catalog of like star wars indiana jones jaws et harry potter all like everything he does is like triple a mega platinum feature globally everywhere I forgot about Harry Potter. That's I wouldn't have yeah, even listed that among his many many accomplishments. Oh, he's I, good. He's he's so he's so good. But you know, I'm I'm very excited to I mean see Indy Five for a thousand different reasons. But I you know for a proper send off for the man himself, John Williams. I think it'll be that that music's gonna hit extra hard. I think when we're sitting there in the theater. Well, I think a lot about how, and I'm assuming this was him that made this choice that over the last jedi closing credits when all of the music like comes to a halt for carrie fisher's title and it oh, just yeah. plays leia's theme oh. on a single piano yeah haunting he he, he is a, a musical genius truly and uh i'll miss him but i'm glad he's getting to go out when he chooses to go out and that also like we talked about this with conan it's really nice when somebody 
has a definitive end to their to to a chapter of their career or to the career when they're still alive and we are still able to celebrate them in this way. Oh yeah, definitely. It's it's uh it's nice that they're not like suddenly going out in a in a ball of fire. They're they're gracefully saying like I've done my part for the world of composing here for John Williams and he's he's you know, taking a step back to to look back on on a grateful universe, as it were. I don't know. I don't know about comparing him to Thanos. I don't know about that. I don't know, James. man. He's. Be, I I think they've had a similar level of impact on the world. <laughs> oh, I. <laughs> I think this is a larger off mic conversation. Maybe. <laughs> Let's go ahead, though. I think this is a very quick news segment. Do you think we should go ahead and move on to? Obi-Wan Kenobi, our main segment? I really think we should. I think we're gonna we're gonna get after it right now. This is this is gonna be great. For today's main segment, we're going to be talking about the Disney Plus series, all six episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi. So, Seamus, I know that you and I were both extremely hesitant about this show when they announced it, and especially going forward with all the marketing and stuff, how prevalently it featured one Darth Vader, we were (laughs) also very concerned about that. So, without getting into too many spoilers about, I mean, there are this series definitely went in a direction I did not expect it to go at all. What were your overall impressions? Was your hesitancy vindicated, or do you feel like you are more okay with this series than you thought you were going to be? Well, it definitely has been a roller coaster of, you know, dreading and anticipating for years. Uh, you know, this was originally, a, you know, 10 different projects before it became the Obi-Wan Kenobi series that we we have now. And I will say, I think I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I think binging all six episodes in a row maybe helped that experience. I, I didn't have as much time to contemplate each episode on its own own instead of like kind of seeing it as a whole so i definitely enjoyed it a lot more than i thought i enjoyed it a hell of a lot more than the book of boba fett and maybe me comparing it to that was like a way to absolutely boost it up a couple letter grades here but i think my overall impression by the end of it is that i thought it was very very well done i enjoyed it as a star like a star wars feeling star wars thing if you know what i mean a a little more than i thought i would do but in the end I I kept coming back to, and we'll get into a lot more of this in spoilers, so much of the things that now affect, directly affect episode four, New Hope, I feel like this should have been a different Jedi's show, almost. Interesting. That's really interesting, because I, you and I had the exact same problems going in. We talked very explicitly about them on our news segments previously, and I agree that comparing this to Book of Boba Fett... <laughs> helps it so much oh yeah because this feels like real television that multiple things happen in one episode on this show which is crazy (laughs) and there's falling action and there's character moments and there's and there's it doesn't just go straight from action to revelation to credits you know and i will say that there are i agree some things that impact episode four in ways i don't necessarily like and things that the show didn't quite prove to me it was doing the storytelling work to earn however i also think there are a lot of 
things, and it's hard to dance around this in non-spoilers. <laughs> there are tons of stuff that it added and deepened for me for the rest of the Star Wars saga going past Episode 4 and beyond that it actually really made me appreciate different dynamics that characters have, different decisions characters make. And it also did that thing that I think The Mandalorian is also really good at, which is making me feel more connected to the transitionary periods in the Star Wars saga, where as The Mandalorian is really good at making me feel the connection between 6 and 7 where there isn't as much in the actual movies. I think Kenobi is the same thing of like, obviously there's the very direct connection of Obi-Wan Kenobi's arc, but the galaxy as a whole, I start to feel the shift between episodes 3 and 4. I mean, that is a gulf that's been explored very, very much in uh, lots of comics and books and other series, especially like Star Wars Rebels. The Bad Batch is doing that right now. But I do think that it helps with the overall connectivity of the universe and it makes it feel more cohesive. I can definitely agree with that. There, there was a few key moments that I, I thought it did even better than like a Rebels or a Jedi Fallen Order. Like things that are even the, the smallest things that I don't even want to say what they are yet. The details of the universe, they, they feel like it's that space in the transition that we, we haven't quite gotten to get too super deep on. We're connecting our own dots a lot of the time between what happens at the end of episode three and, you know, through Rogue One and all, all that stuff into, into episode four. But this was a, it, it definitely colored out more of these territories and planets and the people in these territories and planets that are, that are being affected by this transition in a way that I think was done fantastically. I completely agree. And so for your average Star Wars fan, let's say your person that knows about Star Wars, enjoys the movies, doesn't probably delve too much into the extended stuff. Maybe, I mean, I feel like most people who watch the Star Wars movies watch The Mandalorian. That seems to be the vibe to me. But don't maybe touch the other pieces of media. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. I think this is the most accessible thing to a person who has only seen the Star Wars movies. I, a lot. I actually agree 100% on that. That's what I was thinking, too, is that it is... Have you, have you seen the originals? Do you know what the prequels are? You can watch Kenobi and enjoy the hell out of it. And I, I think that would be a... You know, if somebody is already feeling the pressure mounted by the 10 other seasons of television that are now out under the, the Disney umbrella, then if they just wanted to jump into Kenobi, it's, it's a fantastic place to go in. I'm, I'm just doing some math here. I think there are 15 seasons of Star Wars TV. Shut up. Shut your mouth. Wait, oh, There's, you mean all together, not just the new era, the new class. Well, I mean, no, I mean, I mean, most, I mean, it's all roughly the new class, right? Because it's the earliest thing you have is, I mean, I, I know I wasn't even counting the animated Clone Wars, the 2D animated Clone Wars, because you've got seven seasons of normal Clone Wars, CG Clone Wars. You've got four seasons of Rebels. You've got a season of Bad Batch. You've got two seasons of Mandalorian. So that's 13. Book of Boba Fett makes 14. And this Kenobi is 15. My Plus, God. you want to count the OG Clone Wars. That's two additional seasons, bumping it up to 17. Plus, we have a season two of The Bad Badge coming out. Oh, God. Uh, not to mention, you know, the Ahsoka show and season three of The Mandalorian and whatever. So, uh, Star Wars yeah. Visions, I wasn't even counting oh, that. Oh, my God. I forgot about Star Wars Visions. <laughs> 
Yeah, so, so that that's a lot. That's a lot. If you're feeling that like MCU style suffocation of like, oh, I have to get caught up with how much. It's don't don't even worry about it. Just just go straight into Kenobi if you're feeling it, and it will not disappoint. And interestingly, I actually I think a lot of people have said why wasn't this a three hour movie? And I think that you could not have sent Kenobi on the journey he goes on the on the show in that limited of a time frame. Yeah, I think personally. so too. No, um, I I agree. Or at least while maintaining the same story that they that they set up for the series however i do think and we'll talk about this a little bit more under our pop culture reference i think a trilogy of films a kenobi trilogy mm. would have been really really good and i kind of wish that disney had been willing to go that route because there is always this i know we live in the golden age of television and that television is doing just as much if not more compelling artistic character driven deep psychological work than film is but at the same time i still think that tv plays a second class citizen it's smaller budgets it's Mm. less seen it's less prestigious and i do think that kenobi feels a little bit like a tv show and uh, that and i don't mean i and i'm almost i am i don't want to sound elitist or or i don't know what else it would be but i i I am kind of using tv show as a dirty word well i mean i know what you mean when you're saying that though because what we've seen in the Disney Star Wars Lucasfilm era has been like it, I mean it does feel like that when the when the Abrams movies came out you know it was the biggest thing in the world and why was it that because Disney spent a bajillion dollars to tell us that it was the biggest thing in the world and now we're getting to something like the the Mandalorian and the Boba Fett and Kenobi and all of this stuff is like it's intentional filler almost it, obviously there are such good pieces and like such incredible work done on a lot of these television shows now but you know we haven't we're, we're getting what a rogue squadron movie maybe one day and maybe and... i don't know that that seems unlikely <laughs> at this yeah. point uh, sadly, but I mean, from where we're standing now, it does kind of feel like it is the it's it's filling in the cracks. It's it's taking those gaps in the era and saying like, all right, we'll throw you a bone with this actor or this specific character, and we'll we'll keep you on the hooks until we can get a new full Star War on the big screen. And it, it, this very well could have been a, a its own trilogy of movies, but I I think they're a little scared now. If I'm being honest, you know, the last few Star Wars movies have definitely been taking a hit from the fans. And uh, I think they're trying to play it a little close to the vest until they have an a absolute ace in the hole before they hit the uh, big screen again. Yeah, and I think that there are some things in this that you can tell that I think the volume, while it's an amazing piece of equipment, which is the 360 degree LED screen VR tech rear projection system that they use on shows like The Mandalorian, they used it even for some stuff like in The Batman, mm. uh, they do it for most TV. I know a lot of the new Thor movie, if not most of the new Thor movie was shot on it, which, I mean, the reviews are coming out for that today, and woo, boy, um... Oh, right, really? A, that's a different conversation. <laughs> but I think that the volume is really good in certain situations, in certain lighting situations, in certain environments, but that shooting pretty much your whole show on it, I feel limited. It feels limited. It feels like an actor can run for, like, ten feet, and while I could see, yeah, that there's more beyond him, my brain still tells me that, like, there's there, there's a disconnect, I think, in, yeah. in scale, in scope, 
of the kind of things that you expect from something like a feature film. And I don't, I mean, the Batman, the scenes that they did use it in were really smart. It wasn't where there was a lot of movement. It wasn't there during the action sequences, right? Mm -hmm. Or at least as far as I'm aware, I know a lot of the stuff on rooftops and a lot of the stuff where they were kind of having conversations stationarily in the Batman. That was the times that they use this technology and it looks gorgeous. But yeah, now in with too much of it, it I know what you mean. It does feel a little confined and I think this is where I bring up the insane amount of shaky cam that's in this show and maybe using that shaky cam to disguise that a little bit maybe to make it look a little more filled out. Once again, I think it makes it feel like TV and I think the Mm. filmmaking in this mostly is fantastic. It feels so much more alive than certainly something like Book of Boba Fett but even The Mandalorian which is a show that I like a season and a half of (laughs) and Uh, it loses, it feels very robotic, those, those seasons of Star Wars television. The other Star Wars live-action television that we have, I think, feels very safe, it feels very clean, and I do think the shaky cam helps, but it also makes, I agree, I think it, it shows that they're working around limitations a little bit. I think there's some scenes where the shaky cam works really well. I think they're, like, especially when Kenobi is, like, afraid or um, shaken up, I think that stuff is really, really good, especially during some night sequences that will get into during spoilers but i do wish there had been uh, some more variety in the way that the camera was moved mm-hmm. and used which is something that deborah chow i know is really good at because she does it really well sometimes on the show and in her episodes of the mandalorian she does it really well yeah that definitely it goes to show the diversifying the directors and those mando things was was a definitely an interesting way to do that but i mean overall <laughs> i would say i mean a mistake yeah, well, that yeah, tomato, tomato. I, I don't know what to say there, but I will say I don't think on the Mandalorian the rampant changing of tone uh, and quality of the of episode to episode on the Mandalorian has less to do with changing up the directors a bunch, and I think in more to do with how episodically that story is mm-hmm. told, and that is to its disadvantage. I think that Star Wars needs to function on a larger scale than the Mandalorian's episode to episode quest giving does. And this isn't a Mandalorian episode, but obviously I think that this show's overarching story is a lot more compelling for Star Wars television. It feels a lot, it helps it feel a lot more like Star Wars because you brought that up earlier, that this is the thing that feels like Star Wars. Yeah, and as somebody who has been still somehow trying to get through the last of Rebels right now, I think having the feeling of that OG classic Star Wars is, is more important than a lot of the other things that are going into to these newer Star Wars projects and this it definitely hits the nail on the head with that for sure. Rebels remains probably my favorite Disney Star Wars thing and yeah, you're exactly right that that has that feeling and that's probably the mo- that's the most important part of Star Wars is the feeling of Star Wars. And that goes into things like story and character and tone. It's not just like, oh, it's a feeling, you know, you just have to have it or you don't, but there are tangible things that we work towards in Star Wars that we'll get into, I think, in spoilers, which I think you were about to bring up, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I was going to say, like, like it is the entire work itself. It's not, like you said, it's not just like you either get it or you don't. It's it's the provable, tangible work that we see that has gone into something like this in a way where we can feel that the people who made it cared. They f- we can feel that the people who made it gave more of a damn about the, the minutia of the universe than slapping together... I know we keep bagging on the Book of Boba Fett. I know it's rude. It's because it's bad! <laughs> it is, it is. 
Oh, but anyway, I think we should we should get into spoilers now, and we should get into the little details like we're talking about that that made this show what it is. What what do you say? Absolutely, I think we should start off with the hashtag that Disney would not stop trying to push: Little Leia. Oh, was that a was that a hashtag? That yeah, because <laughs> we because they're you know she is. I would think obviously some kind of response to Baby Yoda and yeah, it's the, it's the it's the Baby Groot effect. They're just if it, it if it's cuter and smaller, people will like it more. Maybe. But I was very 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 hesitant the second we went to Alderaan in the first episode. I was like, I don't know about this. <laughs> oh, you mean the surprise plot of this show that we were kind of yeah, hinting at before? That, the fact that this was sold as Obi Wan on Tatooine. <laughs> watching over Luke. Ooh, so Doom much C. promo of little <laughs> 10-year-old Luke doing, like, whipping his imaginary pod racer or whatever around. I'm like, oh, wow, okay. And 100% different. And everything about Leia ended up working for me. They did it. I, they pulled off a thing that I think should have probably been pretty impossible, which is they got Kenobi off planet, and I believed it. They brought Kenobi and Leia together, and I believed it. And I, it all worked, and it all felt like it strengthened what was already there in the in the franchise, which I think is just super impressive. We were talking earlier about how I think there were a lot of things that actually this this show bolstered for me with Episode Four, and that is largely the connection between Leia and Obi Wan, because when Luke first comes to, and you can find all the the super cuts I'm sure online now of all of the connections, the retroactive oh, connections, sure. but. Like, when Luke first comes to rescue Leia and says, you know, I'm here with Ben Kenobi, I'm here to rescue you, and she's like, Ben Kenobi? Where is he? She gets so jazzed. And, you know, you can read that in the original context, which is just that, like, you know, she was sent to go get him. But I think it plays a lot sweeter and a lot better now that she immediately trusts Luke because of that. She is immediately on board. She's excited to see this guy who was so important to her when she was younger. It makes a lot more sense that she named her son Ben now. Well, that's true. I, I, I'll give you that for sure. Um, because, but... <laughs> like, what, what does Han Solo <laughs> care about Obi-Wan Kenobi? And literally, what does she care at all? They In the original trilogy, they share no screen time. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's almost why I was a little weirded out by it. There's like, you served my father during the Clone Wars, and we had that whole ass space adventure together, Obi-Wan. <laughs> Remember? Remember that? I gave you my, my little droid bug. Remember that whole thing? But it's it seems a little huge. It's, it's like grandiose, their relationship pre-episode four now, that it seems <laughs> a little crazy that she wouldn't ever mention that ever otherwise, but I, I do agree with you that my skeptical nature of little Leia was swiftly brought down because I thought she was fantastic in this show. I thought the, the actor was so good, very funny, really kind of captured that begrudging spirit, you know, that classic Leia. I, I, thought, I thought it was very well done. Vivian Lyra Blair is her name, and it's incredible how much she looks like young Carrie Fisher. Have you oh, seen yeah. these pictures of Carrie Fisher? Oh, yeah. And, and this... 
actors side by side. It's kind of insane. Yeah, and just that the attitude. It's all about the attitude, and she nails it with this. And and I think that that little kid stubbornness goes really well with the idea that I mean she grows up into that very stubborn, very strong, mm-hmm. capable kind of figure in the galaxy. Yeah. And honestly, as much as I want Star Wars to move away from the Skywalkers and I want Star Wars to not retread territory that's already been covered in other fiction, like, I mean, I, we, you and I were just talking before recording, there are a couple of Leia books that kind of cover mm-hmm. her journey to joining the Rebellion and stuff, and there's there's a Princess Leia comic that is fine, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, that's also about her early days in the Rebellion. But I kind of would like to see more of this Leia. I really enjoyed her. I don't know if that would work as well without the context of being with Obi-Wan. But then again, this character, this actor could just kind of grow with the role a little bit. We could get Adolescent Leia, the series she's doing even earlier Rebellion stuff and really setting up the puzzle pieces. I don't know. I know a lot of people a few years ago really wanted them to do Millie Bobby Brown. As a young Leia movie, this is back when they were doing all the, you know, young whatever. Like, when Solo was coming oh, out, sure, they were yeah. talking about, ooh, is a Kenobi show happening or whatever, you know. I think that Millie Bobby Brown would have been an interesting choice. I uh, don't uh, know I if she I would have been not as good as oh, this, I think. That was my polite way of saying yeah. exactly that. I think that what we got was nearly perfect for that character. And I think having it be Millie Bobby Brown would have been a, probably a major distraction, if I'm being honest. Exactly. It's too... It's really hard to put... For specifically some reason in Star Wars, it's really hard to put known actors, I think, into these roles. Not even these iconic roles, but just roles in general, I think, in Star Wars. Are, and there are exceptions to that. I mean, Donald Glover stepping in as Lando, I think, is seamless and perfect. Absolutely. But I do find it distracting sometimes when, especially, I think The Mandalorian is the worst culprit of this, where you have some kind of bigger actor step in, and it's just like, oh, yeah, that's, okay, it's Bill Burr. Sure, like, not that he like oh, what the hell, Danny context. Trejo is just the random Rancor guy? I guess that Danny Trejo makes more sense. No, I actually, Rodriguez, I think that's but... a perfect example, because it's relying <laughs> way too heavily on the fact that you know who that guy yeah. is, as opposed to just actually being endeared to the character. But then again, all the other characters on Book of Boba Fett <laughs> were played by people who you didn't know who they were. And got the exact same amount of yeah, screen true. time. This is not a knocking Boba <laughs> Fett. This is so much knocking of Boba Fett. We should not be doing it. This is about Obi Wan. What, what about the interesting casting choices for? I mean, you know, Benny Safdie, Kumail Nanjiani. Those those newer characters that I thought were you know home runs in this series mm-hmm. that were like the perfect meeting of interesting celebrity casting and not too over the top that it's distracting. I think Benny Safdie is is an interesting point because I think 90% of the people who watch this show minimum 90% I would think higher than that have no idea who that guy <laughs> oh, is absolutely not I mean and I honestly wish he stuck around a little bit longer he kind of he kind of makes his exit pretty swiftly but he does what he needs to do well yeah absolutely there, I think and I I wish that we'd gotten I think we'll talk about this when we get more into the overall structure of the show I wish we'd learned more about him retroactively after his death I think there are some ways that flashbacks could 
have been implemented a little bit more effectively on this show. But not that I want to get super bogged down in flashbacks the whole time. Yeah, I thought he was really good. Kumail, you brought up, and he is... I was a little bit worried that he was just going to be distracting. Like, again, that problem of just, it's Kumail Nagiani. Right, right. But he not, he's so good. It's, it's great humor in his character, and it's actually a little more complex than just like a like a one and done off character yeah i loved the complexity of his character i love in star wars where we get into these parts of the galaxy it's just like yeah he's a scoundrel but you gotta get by and that's very much his attitude he's like you gotta make some credit sometime you know exactly he's like i'm not killing people i'm helping these people i'm just taking it for a little bit more money than maybe i need to you know yeah and of course his total over the top jedi fake jedi stuff was hilarious i mean played incredibly well i wish we'd gotten a little bit more fake jedi stuff i won't lie but i also feel like this could be kind of a new like they've been really liking fennec shand they'd love to put fennec shand in everything now <laughs> yeah and i feel like not that i'm complaining because ming Wen does an excellent job but i feel like this character haja could really be a new one of the like he like presumably he ends up with the rebellion right but also he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that's gonna stay in one place for too long so you have the built-in excuse to just kind of send him off on yeah. whatever adventures and not have to explain why he's not around in the original trilogy. Yeah, I think I think I would love to see him again. I'm, I'm not even sure in what context, like what show or movie that would be, in, unless Kenobi is getting a season two, which I think would be an actual mistake. But ooh, ooh, uh, do we do we differ on that? I no no no. I've got an idea about where we could. Oh, up. okay. Where, where, where do you think we um, can see him? A NPC in Fallen Order 2, Jedi oh, Survivor. There we go. There we go. That's perfect. You you have to do, do a couple quests for him. Maybe he joins the crew. Maybe that's another. I, I would love that. Honestly, him on the Mantis. Hell yeah. H- him and Grease butting heads a little bit. Maybe maybe he likes his whole fake Jedi shtick, and he's like, this is this is hilarious, and I, yeah, I have too many really serious like Jedi. That, I think. And, and he'd be like, you see, this guy does what you guys do without all the Force stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Um, I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I want the crew of the Mantis to expand, although I don't know where it's going to expand to because that ship on the inside is really small. But There's a couple doors that don't open. I'm sure they could, they could add a couple bedrooms here and a couple bunks. Yeah. Serenity style. Yeah, th- we we go down. There's a flight of stairs in the back <laughs> yeah. we didn't know about. And there's yeah. just a whole other part. Of yeah, the sure. Ship. Mantis looks big enough-ish. Yeah, you could go up in the fin. Actually, it's that that's the bedroom. <laughs> it's like it's like a VW van that just has like a pop top roof <laughs> for an extra bunk. But yeah, I would love to see more of him. I really would. Um, timeline wise, I he could show up on the Bad Batch. He could not like oh yeah pre Kenobi. He could show up on Bad Batch. Him him getting set up and his thing yeah because i could i could definitely see because there's no way this new coruscant planet isn't going to be a place that star wars returns to a whole bunch in this era oh you mean the new star wars land planet besides batu i I can totally see that i really i thought that planet was cool i like the planets in this oh yeah oh yeah i don't want to get too off topic because i do want to stick to going through our characters here but we got a nice variety of planets i think i do wish that there were i think this is a artifact of shooting the volume again talking about the limitations of that technology and the way that limits the way you think much like the mandalorian there's a lot of planets that are just like what if rocks yeah yeah big field big open fields of nothing and then they just go the empire has ravaged this planet it's like well i guess sure it's basically how much the empire ravaging a planet looks like southern california (laughs) 
Austin Powers driving by. Exactly. Exactly. That's the exact. <laughs> yeah. it, it's got the same feeling as that rock that they took Baby Yoda to in season two of The Mandalorian, where oh, Boba yeah. Fett is <laughs> yeah, fighting yeah. all those guys, and it's like, did they just go to the backyard of yeah. the studio? It, the first uh, Robert Rodriguez episode. Yeah. 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 Uh, definitely. I know. I know what you mean. Uh, but I do. I do like this new Coruscant planet as well, and I we get to go to um, Fortress Inquisitorius, yes. which is pretty sick to see in live action. I thought it looked really cool and really scary. I was scary. really psyched about that, yeah. And this is that's an excellent transition for us. Talk about our Inquisitor friends. All of because, our Inquisitor friends. Yes, we, we already knew two of them, which were the Grand Inquisitor, now recast by Rupert Friend. I want to know if they couldn't get Jason Isaacs in live action, or if they were just like, it doesn't matter, just get it, an English guy. <laughs> um, I thought he did a good job regardless. Oh, it yeah, me too. like that character to me. I know you and I were both kind of like, ooh, about the design <laughs> when the trailers came out, but it works I think in context. Yeah, totally. Again, it's a it's a lot about the attitude of the character for for that for the Grand Inquisitor himself. And though he is in a little less of this show than I thought it was, I guess this show has a lot more twists and turns in it than I thought exactly. it would based on the trailers it, that we were getting. It changes its direction a lot, I think. Yeah, but like I in directions that I do not disagree with necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think we get an, another one of our Inquisitor friends who kind of takes the reins there for a while. Riva, Riva, which. I think it's really, really weird that they gave an Inquisitor an actual name because she's the third sister, of course, and they do call her that sometimes. Mm. But I always felt like in Rebels and in Fallen Order and in all the other material that, especially the Darth Vader comic, all the other material that the Inquisitors have popped up in, it seems to me that the entire point of the naming device is so that they're kind of stripped of their identities. It's almost like a stormtrooper, right? Right, yeah. FN2187, you don't have a name, you have a number. And so I, I think it's really weird that not only does she have a name, Reva, which I think is important for her to have for the arc that she goes on on this show, but maybe they could have deployed that differently because, like, you hear the Grand Inquisitor call her that multiple times. And I'm like, no, the Grand Inquisitor wouldn't do that, I don't <laughs> yeah, think. Yeah, he's too cold. That's, that's too personal of a thing to do to somebody. But if we, like, learned over the course of the show that her name was Reva and that humanized her a little bit before we actually learned, although how early did you call exactly what her backstory story was honestly i was i was hmm, i'm trying to think because i that that wasn't necessarily a surprise to me per se but i I wasn't like clocking it too far ahead do you mean like her whole plan or like her as a youngling i mean her as a youngling because in episode two she says you know anakin is darth vader and (coughs) we already know obviously that inquisitors are fallen jedi or padawans or whatever and so it seemed to make sense to me especially with our flashback in the temple opening the season that obviously she saw vader in the temple and that's how she would know that it was anakin because how else would she know right right so i mean it they didn't present it as too much of a twist so it doesn't really matter because it's more character driven than anything else which every twist should be every good twist is that which is even if you've called the twist already it still serves a character purpose so it's not like it ruins the experience of why Watching the series. Oh yeah, I, I definitely agree on that, and I will say that may- maybe my own familiarity with Anakin as Darth Vader and like you know Episode Three, seeing what happens in the Jedi Temple so many times, I was I was ready for it to be something like that. I think 
pretty right off the bat with this newer Inquisitor character. So, and I mean, insanely dark nonetheless. I know we've seen Anakin do his youngling thing before, but this was like actually seeing it more or less, right? Like they cut away in episode three and this one, they're like watching children fall to the ground with lightsaber slashes through them. Yeah. And I think that obviously they had that warning up top about some just like Stranger Things this season also had to do this, which came out right around the same time, which I thought was really interesting that, that these two pieces of media are dealing with something that's so sensitive. Um, Because obviously in light of uh, recent tragic events around the country, I mean, not that they haven't been happening for 10 years, mm. but they have that little thing up top that says, you know, in light of current events, viewer discretion is advised, some viewers may find content in this episode disturbing and i do think that they handle it really well because i think so many people just want to see anakin go nuts in the jedi temple which is so antithetical to what the point of that scene is like it's like um it's like the kingsman church scene like if we saw oh yeah exactly anakin just take it on jedi after jedi and, it, and we reveled in it that would be the opposite of what we're supposed to take away from the horror of order 66 though i do really wish that i, I mentioned earlier that I wish that flashbacks had been deployed more effectively on this show. I really wish that they had shown us more that Reva and Benny Safdie's Jedi character, who I don't remember the name of, were close or knew each other or were in that same little group at the beginning of the series trying to escape the temple or something. Because I feel like that would have added something to his death. Because when he initially died and I had already kind of figured out that she was probably in the temple, I was like, oh, so she was able to use the fact that she knew him to get to him. And And then they didn't really do anything with that. Yeah, I, I, I would have loved that. That would have deepened that kind of sacrifice or that death in general and 100% would have made her entire revenge quest a lot more complex and interesting to see if it was like the corruption of an inquisitor onto the I mean I wouldn't call it a righteous quest to assassinate Anakin Skywalker Darth Vader but like something a little more in the net positive of the galaxy than like just ravaging world after world in the name of the Empire I I thought that she was handled incredibly well because it could have been really easy for her to just be this empty plot device of the guilt that Obi-Wan feels over his failure with Anakin, the knowledge that so many people are dead because of his failure with Anakin. I think it would have been really easy for her to just be that representation, but the fact that they gave her so much of her own agency and her own depth and her own character work and they really Mm -hmm. spent time on her because there's a decent chunk of screen time devoted to her on this show and i really appreciate that choice again it makes it feel like real television it doesn't just make it feel like star wars content tm you know oh absolutely i think she was handled incredibly well and those those scenes and larger parts that it is more or less just her as the focus like the main character of certain parts of episodes i think it's some of the most effective sneaky disney way to get us into a character before they obviously insert her into more things in the future i think it was very effectively well done and when they inevitably do put her into something i don't know whatever future animated show or well i'm fully expecting a reva comic like oh 100%. yeah yeah exactly we're we're gonna we're gonna be with this inquisitor for for a bit i think and i i have no problem with that i i would like to see her again but i like the idea 
of an Inquisitor who leaves being an Inquisitor. I think that's a super interesting idea, and we've not seen that yet. Although I will say, I do think, part of what I'm about to say is skipping ahead a little bit, but there are a lot of things, like kind of emotional character beats in this series, that feel a little transposed from less popular Star Wars media. Like, I think there's a lot of stuff in the sixth episode of this show that is from Star like beat for beat from Star Wars Rebels, and I also think that... Reva's arc, while more fleshed out and a lot more compelling, I think has some similarities with some of the stuff we see in Jedi Fallen Order, as well as mm-hmm. the entire break-in and breakout sequence in Fortress Inquisitorious. Oh yeah, I was hoping that they would maybe have a different method of infiltration than old Cal Kestis, but I guess there is only the one. It's kind of supposed to be like that. It's a pretty big, safe fortress, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. We got to see his rebreather at least, so pretty oh, yeah, I loved about it. that. But I mean, I... Th- I still thought it was all great, and it's not to say that I had any kind of problems, really, with them retreading that ground, because it was still wonderful to see Fortress Inquisitorious and have that fleshed out a lot more, that setting. Yeah, it, it, it for, like, 100% made me want to get back into Fallen Order and finish Rebels and this is this is really like a catalyst show for me right now. It's it's given me a little more Star Wars energy to delve deeper into the to the newer stuff, the expanded stuff that isn't necessarily more mainline movies because it feels like Star Wars. That's it. Yeah, it's going right back to it feels like what it is. It feels like a Star Wars and while I maybe would have enjoyed this more as a trilogy, this is like as a single season show and no more seasons after that as one season of a television show i think it's it it really is so so well done speaking of rebels and inquisitors oh yeah we also have our boy sung kang han from the fast and the furious is here as the fifth brother doing great debuted on rebels yeah he's he i wanted him to have more to do i won't lie yeah but i mean what he does do is excellent i think it makes him feel like more of a character to have especially i think sung kang is such a gifted non-verbal actor his body language is so Mm. expressive that even through all of that makeup and probably some cg augmentation i feel like you get a real sense of his character and it's something that has made me really want to revisit his time on star wars rebels and and see if i feel any more connection to that character at all yeah i i think that would be an interesting thing to go back to and i i would also say that you know non-verbally of course he's doing great but uh him growling in that like robo monster voice he's doing fantastically especially he's butting heads with Riva like throughout the entire show and I would have honestly liked to see have seen that power struggle a lot more in in the show because they're they're fighting over the Grand Inquisitor spot and he he only has a couple moments of like true autonomy where he's like kind of going over Riva's head and and doing things and even that no consequence no like evil Vader consequences ever really befall him um, the Grand Inquisitor is such an interesting character I think oh yeah he comes into and this is more of a comics thing but he comes into the fold right he was a jedi temple guard and he was recruited by the emperor before order 66 and everything but the idea that he comes in as a guy who's expecting to be on the same level as darth vader and is now having to serve vader and is constantly trying to negotiate his place in the pecking order and does that i mean it's like a bully right you get you know the people that our bullies are usually bullied by somebody else and mm. need to make other people feel small in the way that he focuses more on the politics and the ladder climbing of his underlings 
in order to deal with the Vader stuff, I think is super interesting and and really well executed for as little screen time as he has on this show. Yeah, it almost gives me a Thrawn ish vibe where it's like true it's like very new feeling and it's a different kind of like organized evil. It's like a bureaucratic evil almost where the meticulous nature of what they're doing in like the shadows and behind the scenes getting their manipulations to exactly where they need to be is is where like it's almost like a creepy kind of character. It's the intimidation of not knowing what weird aces they have up his weird robo sleeve (laughs) yeah i think that's a good way to put it although i don't think the inquisitor is nearly as smart as he thinks he is well we 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 all know what happens to the grand inquisitor after uh after a time but in this show for the weird fake out death that they give him in the in the shorter amount of time that he actually is on screen after they do that i can't believe that people were so mad about that like we see people survive far worse obviously he's not dead they're not just gonna yeah they're not gonna completely strike the entire first couple seasons of rebels from canon in order to have him have a shock death in season or episode two of this show yeah we literally see it twice in this show people or three times in this show because it happens to reva twice where they they Uh get stabbed in the gut with a lightsaber and it's like fine more or less Anybody but Qui-Gon, man, can survive a lightsaber uh, to the gut. I was seeing people post about that that stormtrooper who just gets cut in half by the laser grid. Oh. And they're just like, this guy's coming back with robot legs. No question. This guy's I definitely lo- alive. I loved that. I loved oh, that yeah, so Oh, yeah, me too. That, that, whole, that whole sequence where uh, apparently Zach Braff is like a pro-Empire <laughs> sympathizer, <laughs> which I thought was... Interesting. In I thought pickup truck. I thought that guy was gonna like turn around after a minute and be like, "That was just a cover. I'm your contact." But he's just like, "Love me some of that empire tyranny, huh? You, you smell that in the in the air? That's stability <laughs> right there." It's like, well, all right, man. I guess this kind of sucks everywhere. I want to talk about Vader, right? Because I think you know that's gonna be the most interesting discussion that you and I can have. But I do want to touch on. The fact that I think it's nice that Joel Edgerton and Bonnie Peace are back for Owen and Baru. I think it's nice that they get their little action sequence. Oh, hell yeah. Where they're very careful to not let Luke see anything. Don't let Luke see anything. He's getting... He's uh, He doesn't see the lightsaber. He's already out the roof. Don't even worry about it. It's fine. He's unconscious. It's uh, He doesn't know anything. <laughs> that little Luke, not really perceptive, huh? He's just, like, being chased in the dark by a glowing red... Tuscan Raider staff, I guess. <laughs> Literally shouting after him in plain English. Like it's it's pretty it's pretty blatantly obvious, but you know, I did like that. I did like that Baru is like not screwing around anymore, getting the gat out of the the hiding place to <laughs> shoot to shoot at this but I'm and it, it implies other things about maybe their showdown when they inevitably do die in episode I four. I think that too. I was about to say that I feel like it, it feels like they went out swinging probably in a yeah, way that a lot of people were like, oh, that's why they're like smoldering corpses is because there was like an actual firefight that they had to like get killed in. And it wasn't just like an execution, which makes sense to me. And I like and that's I feel like that is in line with the attitudes that those characters have in other pieces of media, like that they mm-hmm. are tough. I mean, Owen is tough. Oh yeah, he's a he's a farmer, he's a moisture farmer. He's he's doing what he needs to out there. But uh let's talk about his brother, 
Anakin Skywalker. You heard easy, of that guy? You easy heard to forget Skywalker? that they're brothers, isn't it? Easy yes, to forget it, that. It really is, especially because the prequels did did nothing to <laughs> yeah. even remotely try to establish their relationship in any meaningful way. Because again, here we, I think this show is doing so much cleanup work for the prequels mm-hmm. of like giving Obi-Wan and Owen some kind of relationship so that later it actually makes sense that he's like, you gotta leave that old wizard alone. Oh. <laughs> like, I think, I, again, cleanup work that this show is doing for the prequels is we don't see Obi-Wan learn that Vader is alive and in the suit and everything, and that's a super important moment for Kenobi, and I think that's the biggest Vader thing in the show that makes me more okay with the fact that they actually meet up and duel. Because how else does Kenobi know when we get to episode four who Vader is, what he's oh, that become? Is true. And 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 he he says it knowingly. He doesn't say it like he saw it on the Hollow Net. You know, he wasn't watching uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Empire News Network, and he saw Darth Vader. He was like, "Oh, I guess that's that's my guy now." You know. Yeah, it wasn't a Wookie Leaks type deal where it's just like <laughs> Empire information is just like being taken out by Mads Mikkelsen from Rogue One, just like disseminated through the universe. Oh, that's really... I love Wookiee. That's fantastic. <laughs> that, that's a whole spin-off show right there where, where they're just leaking information. Oh, uh, I'd watch that. Yeah, but I think Vader's, for the most part, his entire presence on the show is really well handled. They use him sparingly mm. enough that he doesn't lose his impact, but they use him frequently enough that he actually has depth and an arc on the show in a way that he has not been given in most Star Wars media in the contemporary era, the exceptions, I would argue, being the Darth Vader comic, which is exceptional, and actually ties in, I think, a lot to this series. Like, in the Charles Soule 2017 run, you see him fantasizing about burning Obi-Wan alive, and then in this show, he tr- he does exactly that, which I think is super great. Oh, wow, yeah, I didn't know. that. That is a nearly a direct tie-in at that point. That's, that's crazy. And then also, of course, I think he's there's excellent work done with him on Star Wars Rebels, but again, tons of it is retread on this show. And it's retread and, and, and done in a way with our our boy, the returning Hayden Christensen. I don't even yes. know if we brought him up before. We haven't brought him up yet. So, and he's doing a good job on this, I think. I think he's doing great. I think he is doing fantastic. I know he did, he did like a big uh, Clone Wars Rebels binge to prep for this series, which is, I think, fun. And I think probably added a lot to the, the brief flashbacks and the, the great really disturbing vader stuff when we actually do see his his face under that helmet and obviously when his helmet gets slashed you hear christian's voice come through but i have a little theory about the way that they did vader's voice for the rest of the time i think because as you know probably they deep fake luked it and they used an ai generator to recreate james earl jones's voice which seems a little blasphemous i suppose but i mean but, I mean, as long as James Earl Jones signed off on it, I think, especially, because CGI Luke, I think it's, like, it's like, why not recast? It, that's, that's, I, I have problems with Luke. But here, as long as James Earl Jones is okay with it, and honestly, Vader can sound a little robotic, I think this sounds so much better than Luke. And I, a theory I have about part of that is when you listen to the way he reads certain lines, 
it sounds like Hayden Christensen, like the the, the oh like the cadence, yeah. So I think they had Christensen record the lines, then modulated his pitch down and matched it with James Earl Jones. I think it's oh, a man. compilation of Christensen and Jones, and I've not got that confirmed at all, but it seems to me that that is something that is happening behind the scenes, and I think it really greatly adds to feeling like it is Anakin behind that mask and retroactively makes the storytelling even stronger when we get to episodes four, five, and six, and that part of Anakin's voice is gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is that is very... I, I would love to know... I would love to get confirmation on your theory on that voice thing, but you're totally right that it sounds a lot like that. It's It's like an amalgam of the two very well put together. And then we do also get the haunting like triple layered voice distortion when we get yeah. when we're in that final fight that is that is like a it is kind of like that crossover point we we get the just horrifying smile after he says that he killed Anakin Skywalker and that Obi-Wan isn't Obi-Wan didn't kill him I I killed Anakin Skywalker and it, it is shivers chills down my spine seeing that the red light reflecting off of that that pale skin that one yellow eye it's mm-hmm. really really good and i know we were very much not looking forward to the idea of a big lightsaber duel between them two and it's actually not even the only one that they actually have yeah, in the series two. but and they work for me they do they I, the do second is one, that less crazy than the first one weirdly enough um because i think the first one is like short enough and like obi-wan is so scared the whole oh, time oh yes definitely that like he he's like in pure defense mode he's not he's not doing like the because i i will say the second one the finale lightsaber fight was incredibly well choreographed and yeah. and well done but that first one felt like if that was the only confrontation they had in the show i would have been very satisfied with that kind I of thing i completely agree i think because the the finale showdown it's the non-combat moments that are the most rewarding in that. It's the moments where it's just the two guys standing there yeah. dealing with the wake of all of their decisions. And there's a little there are some things that I was like, okay, that's a little bit much. Like him pounding Vader with rocks with the force. I was like, oh, do we really need to <laughs> do we really need to do this? I love that he goes for Vader's buttons. That's oh, my yeah. favorite thing in the world. Because that feels very Kenobi to me, and why wouldn't you do that? Obviously, yeah, of course. That's the. It's like his organs are on the outside of his body. You might as well go for it, like General Grievous. Exactly, exactly. I'm a little surprised in that fight they didn't pull a couple General Grievous showdown lines to to add in there, or that they didn't have Vader say that he had the high ground when he was towering over Obi-Wan for, like, five straight minutes. People are... But, like, they did it, though. They showed you that he had the high ground. Of you course, know what I mean? of you course. You don't need to say it. I know, I know. And I'm not even necessarily saying they should have. I was just, like, sitting there, like, all right, it's coming, it's coming. And they, they, they defied those expectations on me. I'm surprised that there was no point in which Obi-Wan evoked Ahsoka or Padme. I really thought that was oh. coming. Him being like, Padme, I believe there's still good in you. Or did you really, be- like, betraying Ahsoka like that? Da, 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 like, anything. like Right, yeah. 
I, I thought mean, we were going to get some kind of appeal to him on that level. I'm, I mean, it's stronger for this story, honestly, that I think that they didn't. But I was expecting it. Again, I think that's the thing I really like about the show, is there was a restraint to not just do empty fan service. It felt like every choice they made was intentional to serve the story that they were building up here, even if some of the stuff I didn't quite agree with, right? Yeah, I, th- I think I completely agree with you on that. And even something as smaller as, like, having that Vader helmet slash and then that going all the way back to episode six when we see the gash on... Vader's head when he gets the helmet taken back off. That's true. I didn't even think about. Oh, you that. you didn't put that one together. I was like, oh wow, they're they're actually just doing it. They're they're showing that that is a, a direct effect of another Obi Wan showdown. No, that's brilliant. I had not connected those dots. That's great though. Did you feel like the lightsabers felt weird on this show? Did you feel like they glowed too much? Maybe in that last one, it's it's so dark and uh, foggy in the final showdown, and there's so much sand in the in the air always in in every planet they go to. So I would they definitely did glow a lot, but I, it wasn't too distracting for me. I would say I I think once they started using them as kind of a creative colored light source in that final showdown when they're doing like the close ups on Anakin and Obi Wan's faces between like the red and the blue. Yeah, I thought that that was very well done, but that might have just been a long walk of extra glowy lightsabers to make that effect. Uh, I mean, a lot I more like that effect a lot. And I don't, I don't have the problem necessarily with the glowy lightsabers. It's just that they, they don't feel as ethereal now. They feel really solid to me. They feel like they're they're they have lights mm. that they're holding. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I, I can kind of pick up what you're putting down there. I I was just happy that it wasn't the. And this is one of the only things I have a problem with on Rebels. The pointy Rebels lightsabers, I'm not a huge fan of. I will fight you. I will I, fight you about uh, the lightsabers. I don't know, man. They're too skinny. They're toothpicks. It's Ralph McQuarrie, Seamus. It's the whole art I style. Know, I know. But it's just, those ones seem like they're not enough for me. The the the, the Clone Wars and the prequels, those ones are those ones are the prime, prime time lightsabers for me. But yeah, I mean, overall, I'm really, I think you and I... I, I, you and I did not butt heads as much about this as I was expecting us to. Actually, I think we're kind of on the same page. Yeah, I think I think so too. We're we're both are are joining an agreement about little Leia being kind of a knockout hit of this show. I think has bridged a lot of gaps. I still don't necessarily think that it makes a ton of sense that Leia wouldn't ever talk about it ever. Never mention it once. Well, like, I, you know how they are, though, with this. Now, every single Leia novel, comic, whatever appearance that we get for the next 10 years is going to have, like, oh, yeah, Obi-Wan. We're talking about Obi-Wan. That, like, see, now it, yeah, she's talking yeah, about it, so it's fine. <laughs> that's true. She looks longingly over at the dusty Lolo robot that he kept in his his trunk exactly, on Tatooine or something. Exactly. Yeah, that's... I I guess I won't mind that too much, for sure. I... I oh, one, one last thing that I thought was... A a fun idea of Obi-Wan meeting Luke like once when he's 10 and that's why in episode 4 he's like oh that old Ben Kenobi that guy that weirdo who brought me like that toy that one time uh-huh. I thought I thought that was a almost more subtly effective of their <laughs> weird relationship that they start off with in the original one than than anything else absolutely and it, and it and it amplifies the impact of like this yeah exactly this weird old guy that you kind of dismissed that loved you your entire life 
Yeah, oh, yeah. That and is you just bizarre. don't even know about him, and that, and that's really sad, and it makes you feel really sad for Obi Wan and his exile, and that's something that has been explored really well, I think, in other pieces of media, which we'll address actually in our pop culture reference coming up. But I think that seeing Ewan have that moment was genuinely impactful. And if this story had been a whole Luke-centric story, it would not have resonated that way. Absolutely. That's probably why they avoided that and kind of skirted our expectations with this whole Leia adventure. And I appreciate it endlessly. I think it would have been a lot weirder feeling if it, if it had focused more on the Lars homestead. I am thrilled at how good the storytelling was, how intentional the storytelling seemed on this show. And I think it's something that we have a ton more to unpack about, frankly. And I think we'll continue to talk about it both on and off the pod oh yeah i mean i well we're star wars boys we're this this show has left many implications on the on the wider universe and we, we've got we've we'll we'll find the minutiae to go back on and touch on absolutely and i'm sure the next time there is a star wars thing this is like we'll be directly tying it in with this Oh, you mean when they reveal the Quaylen Voss show that they so oh, subtly right. teased we, in this? We didn't even talk about the path, which is obvious. I feel like that's going to be a big thing in Jedi Survivor. That's my theory oh, right now. Oh, yes. You are 100% right. Oh, yeah. That's what he'll be in. That makes total... Yeah, if we get Quinlan and Haja in... Oh, yes. I would be about that. I would be, like, super duper about that. But should we move on to our pop culture reference? Let's do it. Today's pop culture reference is Obi-Wan Kenobi's standalone evolution. The story of Obi-Wan Kenobi's time in exile between Star Wars Episode 3 and Episode 4 have been explored canonically and non-canonically through many pieces of Star Wars media, including various comics, the animated series Star Wars Rebels, and John Jackson Miller's Kenobi novel. In 2013, after Disney acquired Lucasfilm and the Star Wars brand, CEO Bob Iger announced the development of multiple Star Wars spin-off projects. Though more details about these projects were undisclosed at the time, the majority of fans online and around the world expressed their opinions that Obi-Wan Kenobi was the most deserving of a standalone film. A Kenobi film began development in 2018, helmed by director Stephen Daldry and written by Hossein Amini and Stuart Beatty. However, after the financial failure of Solo, A Star Wars Story in 2018, development on the Kenobi standalone film and many other feature-length projects were scrapped or redeveloped in favor of less expensive and shorter form Disney Plus series. Though this was a major change to the Star Wars content roadmap laid out by Disney, it did give Deborah Chow a chance to show her talent at directing Star Wars after her episodes of The Mandalorian and solidified her place as director of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Daldry received producer credits on the series, and Amini retained story credit on three of the eventual Disney Plus episodes, and actual writing credit on the final episode. BD retained story credits for four of the six. Beatty recently revealed that the film was originally conceived as the first in a trilogy of Kenobi-centric films. The first film, which was the only one actually written and what most influenced the Disney Plus series, would have focused on Kenobi learning to trust the will of the Force and give Luke space to grow up without Kenobi's influence. The second film would have focused on Kenobi's reckoning with the revelation that he would eventually have to sacrifice his life to save Luke, likely with the help of Qui-Gon Jinn's Force Ghost. Beatty is not divulged what the third film would have focused on, but speculates that the outlining and story work he and the other team members developed could likely influence any potential continuations of the Kenobi story. So, obviously, here we are. There's a little bit of Kenobi uncertainty going on right now. I know that the people over at Disney are kind of like, maybe season two? <laughs> because 
I suspect that's going to end up happening because I think the show was super successful. It sounds like they had really good. It was like mm. the highest watched Disney Plus show ever, something like that. Not that that's, I mean, Disney Plus has been around for what? <laughs> oh, like, no. Is, has Disney Plus been around for like five years? No, oh, shut Seamus. up. We've did an episode in the, in the before four times where we like... Uh, no, it's 2019. It was 2019. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, it's, it's only three years. I was In my head, it was 2017. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, God. But, yeah, I mean, if we got a couple, even if it wasn't, like, a full serialized continuation, if we got maybe three distinct miniseries that focused on maybe the concepts of what these movies would have been, I would have been, I would be kind of into that, I would say. I would maybe say that the movies would have probably been a little more effective in terms of just I love going to see a Star War in a theater and if Ewan McGregor was the star it would be perfect but you know redevelopment into this series I think was a fairly well done job and I I, I guess I would rather it stay as a one season series but if they were to expand it out I'm happy to know that they're not just like shooting blind they have some kind of basis that they they were thinking about going off of in the first place my big problem is that I feel like if they do a series two, a season two, whatever, I'm not British, um, <laughs> you have to go bigger than the first season, and I don't, like The Mandalorian, I don't see a way of them going bigger than the first season without corrupting other stuff out in the Star Wars universe. Like, Obi-Wan's gonna have to go off planet again if they do a season two, and I just don't think that... Like, I was fine. They justified enough to me why he would be willing to go off planet in this series, but I don't think it really makes sense for him to be Jediing around the galaxy. And, ag and again, ugh, just, I don't know. I, I have problems with the idea of continuing this story because I know from a storytelling perspective what you have to do in a second season, and I know that those things, while theoretically I like the idea of Obi-Wan's story continuing, I think what they would have to do would ultimately contradict a lot of the stuff that I liked about this series and that I like about Obi-Wan's overall trajectory as a character. Honestly, I totally agree with you there. They, they wrapped up this series with a pretty neat little bow, uh, making it, like, a, a pretty clean transition into, like, Rogue One and Episode Four stuff. And, I mean, backtracking on the already super nonchalant just being like, you know what, you're right, I don't care about I think that would be kind of crazy. Uh, and just being like, oh, I guess the do care about it would It would just feel like, like you said, the way they would have to write that story would either be rehash or way more, like, way too much for what this character can be in, in this timeline that they're giving him. Editor Seamus, you might want to cut out what podcast Seamus just said, because we're not in spoilers anymore, son. Oh, yeah, you're right. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to leave it in, but it's going to be one long bleep, and then at the end, it's just going to be <laughs> saying, cut that out. That's funny. <laughs> I like that idea. Okay, should we move on to Save the Rec Center? Let's do it. Now it's time to save the rec center, where we bring you our weekly recommendations. Seamus, what video game do you have this week? Shut up, Gary. You don't know me. <laughs> well, anyway, I upgraded to the new PS Plus tier. <laughs> I've been replaying Fallout New Vegas, an absolute classic, maybe the best Fallout of all time. And I've been re-loving every single bit of it. It's... 
incredibly impressive, I will say, the way that you can stream this game. You can't download it like some of the other ones It's in the Classics catalog, so you have to stream it from a warehouse full of ghostly PS3s, but it <laughs> runs incredibly. Uh, the, the music is the most classic of all time, and for a game that was, I think, originally supposed like a side project of a random developer at Obsidian that they just exploded into the best Fallout of all time. It's it's well worth going to to try it out if it's been a while or if you've never played it at all. I'm I'm not sure if you're a Fallout boy, Garrett, but well, not a Fallout boy, but like a Fallout boy. <laughs> um, uh, 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 I can't think of a Fallout boy song. This is embarrassing. <laughs> Well, I don't even know a Fallout Boy song, so you, you got me beat there. Um, some Big Hero Six. Uh, <laughs> they do music for Big Hero Six. They did the music for Big oh, Hero Six. That's so weird. I would be interested in an entry point into the Fallout franchise. That's for sure. I've never, I've never played one, but I oh, tried man. out. Oh yeah, then I mean, Fallout Three is also an absolute classic on that collection there. But New Vegas, if you want to be a post-apocalyptic cowboy, and it's truly one of the best, most streamlined plot devices of you are murdered and then you are brought back to life and then your whole revenge quest is just finding the guy that shot you in the head. And it's it's great. You just get to be a gunslinging cowboy, go gamble in Vegas. It's, it's, it's truly very fun. Very nice. But what do you got this week, Garrett? Well, Seamus, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it on I'm gonna keep it on main segment theme this week. You're not surprised at all. I'm sure. It'll <laughs> I don't that. think so. And with season two approaching quickly this fall, uh, I think now with the with the inertia of Obi Wan Kenobi at your heels, now is a great time to check out Star Wars: The Bad Batch. Definitely, basically, just Clone Wars Season 8. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I also think that, really, to be honest, you don't need to have watched Clone Wars necessarily to enjoy it, because I think it's a pretty straightforward, streamlined, fun little space romp with a nice little found family message. Sure, it's got lots of connections to the larger Star Wars universe and a lot of characters that are coming back from the Clone Wars characters that we haven't seen in many, many years. But at the same time, I think, like, my mom watched the first season, and I think she, there was nothing that she was missing. She's completely on board. Oh, right if, on. You, if you really want to probably check out the couple of Bad Batch episodes from that Season 7 arc of the Clone Wars, if you just want a little bit of context in the Clone Wars canon, but I do think it's just a very similar dynamic at its core to that of Kenobi, which I will not spoil by describing <laughs> further. And I think it's not quite Rebels, it's not quite Kenobi in terms of getting to the heart of what Star Wars is about. But I do think it's doing a really good job of, I think there are some standout sequences, standout episodes in that first season that really hit you where Star Wars is supposed to hit you. I think that the opening of the series, the first 20 minutes of that series, mm. are some of my favorite Star Wars of the last few years. And it's doing a really good job, and I it, season two promises to continue doing a really good job based on the trailer of bridging that gap between episodes three and four with a more of a lens looking at the prequels. So while Kenobi's kind of like looking forward into the mm -hmm. original trilogy and being like, okay, how do we backtrack Kenobi to 
to his natural stopping point for his character arc. Here we're looking at the clones and the fallout from the Republic turning into the Empire and all of the things that we do didn't really focus on in other media because, one, the prequels aren't super well received and are kind of having a little bit of a reevaluation mm-hmm. in the public eye, but also just because the things weren't around back during the original trilogy and that working forward and seeing how they would naturally evolve and fall apart. And I think it's really compelling uh tv i think it's a it's a good time it's it's paced well for a cartoon which i don't mean to speak ill of cartoons but a lot of kids television is not paced well no no i mean compared to some of the other seasons of star wars animated television that we've gotten i think it starts with an absolute bang compared to something like the clone wars where they had a little bit of a a runway to get going and yeah i definitely echo all your sentiments that i you i think echo show them eco eco uh, eco thank you tick omega I didn't mean to cut you off. Though, <laughs> no, now I'm in my now I'm in my voice now. Omega. <laughs> God. But yes, I I totally agree with you that it is it's great. It's another one of those. It feels like Star Wars, and it feels like the work is being put into it. And I I'm personally excited for that next season. So I I think you should definitely go and check it out if you haven't. And when you do, go back and take a listen to our Bad Batch episode. A uh, couple. I don't remember what episode that is. A couple weeks ago, let's say. Yeah, a couple weeks ago. Everything was a couple weeks ago. (laughs) Exactly. It's either a couple weeks ago or three years ago. So go find that episode. (laughs) It's very fun. You can kind of hear more in depth of our thoughts on the the more spoilery end of The Bad Batch as a whole. But definitely go check it out if you haven't. But I think that wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at PCR underscore podcast. You can email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Contact us in any other capacity you see fit. Engage with us on any platform that you're listening on. Like us on Facebook, the whole nine yards. Next week, we don't know what we're doing yet, but I think we are going to have... We've got a lot of good options that we're kind of jumping around between. Seamus, do you have anything that you're leaning towards particularly? Uh, The Disney Plus limited series Nightmare Alley, directed by (laughs) Ewan McGregor? I don't know. I don't know if Disney Plus is picking that one up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad I can make you cough with my my jokes. Oh, the power you wield, Shane. The power you wield. Yeah, I I think, you know, there's a couple of things we're kicking around. We're talking maybe maybe some Thor stuff, maybe... A little, a little throwback with John Carpenter's Elvis on the table. Yeah, that was an interesting thought I was thinking about the other day too. But whatever it is, it's gonna be, it's gonna be some fun, spicy stuff. We'll keep it lively for you, folks. But until then, we'll see you next week. Adios, amigos.